0: Hello, friend, and welcome to the U Turn podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and a best selling author of the book U Turn Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career. I wrote the U Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week I bring you a guest on with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. This is the only CBD company I have come to really trust with my wellness. They have 0 THC, meaning you can't get high from their products. They're organically farmed and they're gluten-free. I love sleep, and when I don't get it, I feel like my entire day, my entire week, my entire life is thrown off. And during these times of stress, I started taking Soul CBD's sleepy gummy before bed, and I swear by them. Most nights, all I need is a half of a gummy, and these little babes have put my sleepless nights behind me with one delicious, fruity bite. Their unique blend of CBD, CBN, and terpenes helps you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and improve your overall quality of sleep. I always wake up refreshed. It's my- my new bedtime besties. So our friends over at Soul CBD, I contacted them and I got a discount code for 15% off your order. Just head on over to AshleyStahl.com slash soul. That's A-S-H L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com slash S O U L to access our special page with them and don't forget to use the code U-turn at checkout. That's Y-O-U-C-C. T-U-R-N. Now let's get into this week's episode. Hi, U-Turn people. I'm so excited to be back on the show. This is like my favorite place to be. And today we have an expert coming on that I'm really excited about because she's talking about one of the most universal things that I see and it's people pleasing. So Amy Greensmith, she's a certified credentialed life coach, hypnotherapist, speaker, and obviously a personal empowerment expert. And she uses her roles as a coach, a podcaster, a writer, to really help people move into personal empowerment and self-worth. She can talk about boundaries, communication. And today, specifically, we're going to talk about how you can stop people-pleasing and start speaking the hell up because it's time. Um, So Amy, thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm thrilled to hang out. This is my favorite stuff to talk about. I mean, I love your glasses you're wearing. You definitely feel like somebody who's like not afraid to speak the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have such an
1: issue with regular eyeglasses buying because nothing is ever funky enough or big enough. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I finally found an online retailer who can do progressives really well
0: for my middle aged eyes, but I can have nice, funky frames too. So, I don't know what you're doing with your skincare, but I don't see the middle aging happening. And I mean, life is way too short for bad eyeglasses or a bad haircut. You know what I mean? Like, amen. Amen. So, okay, tell me. Obviously, people who talk about people pleasing usually had a people pleasing problem, a PPP. So can you tell me like, where did this come from and when were you people pleasing or maybe if you weren't where you were around it or talk to me?
1: Yeah. So you're absolutely right. I think most people who have sort of a mission in life, uh, it came from some hard knocks and learning their own lessons in my case is very similar. So for a bit of context, I grew up in a very conservative, uh, born again, evangelical Christian family. My father had a master's in divinity and a doctorate in ministry. So he was not fucking around on the Jesus front and, uh, sort, sort of for a bit of juxtaposition my two younger brothers and I could not have been more different as far as our youth. So they both had trouble with the law, did jail time, didn't go to school, really lived off my parents for quite a bit. And I started working when I was 14. I got married when I was 20, moved out of the house, was very self-sufficient. And I, so, so kind of keep that in mind because that will play in a little bit later. So as I mentioned, I was out of the house young, early, and so whenever I would be around my family, I would kind of ask my husband to kind of shape shift with me. Let's twist and contort and put up this facade And so whenever we would go visit my family, I would kind of say, okay, no cussing, no drinking, no, no John Stewart, no Howard Stern. And no, you know, none of the things, no liberal agenda. We can't, can't be talking about any of that. And everything kind of came to a, a real head in 07 when my father passed away. And I had a the career in makeup artistry at the time. So I felt extremely convicted that I was going to do his makeup for his viewing. And so that day I did dead dad makeup like a bad bitch and then spoke to a crowd of hundreds. So kind of needless to say, I felt like I was really winning at daughter that day. And we get back home to my mom's house and she finds it the most opportune time to say, it feels as though your father and I have failed as parents, because all three of you are not quote, walking with the Lord. So I was once again, kind of, it didn't matter Anything that I had done, who I was in this world at all, if I didn't subscribe to the faith that I was raised in, I was this disappointment. And sort of the the only real thing that I could muster in that moment was I, I said to my mom, I really don't think you should say that to a child. And she said, well, that's just how I feel. And that really was sort of the impetus and the turning point for me around genuinely trading in the people-pleasing for speaking up for myself. And I don't think for most of us in most scenarios, taking a stand and speaking up for yourself really is an ultimatum. But in that situation, it was. It was, I either choose to make you happy or I choose to make me happy. And if push comes to shove, I'm gonna choose me. And that really what has informed now the work that I do in the world. But I'll tell you what, Ashley, for the first handful, a good 10 years, I'd say I five to 10 years, I was extremely combative. I was I spoke up. Now the floodgates were open, but I was combative and adversarial and acrimonious and. It wasn't till many, many times that I had to clean up my act and clean up my mess that I realized, oh, you can actually speak up for yourself without being a dick about it, which, which is truly what I do now in the world. Love
0: that. What are, some, um, what are some of the stickiest situations you've been in where you've really had to speak up and what were some of the shifts that you had that we can impart to everyone listening? And then obviously I wanted to define people-pleasing. Um, sure. But yeah, just kind of like looking back in your life, are there a couple situations where you really stood your ground and used these tools that we're going to get into? Yeah, absolutely. They're there. Uh, they happen all the time.
1: They happen all the time. I've had really big scenarios like friendships where uh, I had one, one friendship where because of her career. She was a dancer and an actor in Los Angeles. And so there was so much focus around body and body image. And I could not, no longer be around her and nitpick my body Mm -hmm. and grab my thighs and Mm -hmm. look how disgusting they are. And again, this was probably a good 10 years ago now as well, but I really said, Hey, I love you. And I recognize that you have a workplace that is highly focused around bodies. I can't be that friend who defames our body and wants to shape shift all the time. And I will support you, but I just need you to know, I can't have those conversations with you anymore. Um, Just for my own mental health and for my own body love journey even most recently with somebody who I had hired to help me in my business, where I felt like it wasn't, I wasn't getting the things that I was kind of promised from the very beginning. And so I just had, I mean, that was such a remarkable experience because I didn't overthink it. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, tools and skills that i teach people that you know to help them gear up and prepare to deliver information and things like that and it it was so effortless it would it was incredibly in the bones and i just said hey i know these are the things that you said were going to be the real advantage of being one on one and i am not really seeing those here's my specific requests would love to hear your thoughts you know so it shows up consistently and constantly mm-hmm. a lot with my partner. Uh, yeah. All Love of the that. time.
0: Yeah, I love anytime we can provide like a communication template. Like it sounds so non threatening, but what you're sharing is something that we deal with all the time, especially as entrepreneurs. But even in the workforce, is the very typical situation of not getting what you agreed on with someone, whether it's a client, a vendor, a friend, whatever. Your wedding planning, being able to, and I love that you said would love your thoughts because I think that's so non threatening versus like let's proceed with a refund. You know what I mean or whatever. Um, opening up the floor.
1: I, I really try to operate under the mantra of it, it's your responsibility to at least give people the opportunity to be what you need. So often we feel slighted or we feel like we've been wronged in some way. And we, I mean, we see it in dating all the time. We just run to the ghosting yeah. and we're just like, fuck it, I'm not going to have an adult conversation, you know, or, or I'm just going to sever this relationship with. Somebody who's an employee or whatever, instead of genuinely saying, Hey, here's what, here's how I'm interpreting this. I would love to hear what you think, especially when we're talking about familial relationships and Mm -hmm. intimate partnerships. We make up so many stories. We make up so many stories. So I love to, for people to just take on that inquiry of, Have I at least given this person the opportunity to be what I need? Do they have all the crystal clear, definitive things that I need in order for this relationship to thrive? And if that would be a surprise to them that you're this pissed off, that's on you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I also, I love um, Mark Groves, who was on the podcast and is a friend. He talks about anytime you have resentment, it's just poor boundaries. So I think it's it's interesting to realize, like, if you have resentment, you also probably have poor boundaries, um, which is interesting to see. So, okay, everybody has their own definition of people-pleasing. What is yours? I love that you talked about contorting yourself and all of these different things. How would you define people-pleasing?
1: Well, I love that you asked that because... it. it people pleasing is one of those monikers that people either identify with or they don't because we get sort of this view of what a people pleaser is we think that they are soft spoken mild mannered maybe their posture is a little more meek and and hunched over and if you're if you tend to be sort of a confident gregarious person you think i couldn't possibly be a people pleaser the way that I describe it is anytime you sacrifice self in order to make somebody else's wants, needs, and opinions more than your worth more than your own mm-hmm. so if you are so concerned about what somebody else is going to think about what you are doing or saying, that's people pleasing you're concerned about their emotions, their thoughts their feelings. So much so that you change your own behavior. A lot of times with what we're talking about with people pleasing is just really inauthentic bullshitting. Like you're essentially lying. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's not from a place of malice at all, but it's simply that if I show up authentically, if I'm honest, Mm -hmm. I may not be received well. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So let me lie. And there there are forms the people pleasing that are highly manipulative. Mm -hmm. Like let me get this person to be what I need by me trying to push them into the scenario or the situation that I I want to have happen.
0: Hmm. You know, it's interesting because I feel like there's such a fine line between caring what people think and being like empathetic and being really effective, you know, communicator and then not having boundaries. How do you draw that line? Is it kind of that piece where you said like you're changing what you want or not voice. And also there's compromise, right? Like how do you look at your romantic relationship? And you know, I have friends who are living in cities they don't really want to live in, but it's best for their partnership that they're there at this time. How do you navigate that line between where you need to work on yourself and where you're being generous and compromising?
1: That's a really great question. And the short answer is it's a different answer in every single situation. Yeah. There really isn't a way to say this is always a negative and this is always the positive. It really comes down to introspection. So, you know, with a situation like that, where you're living in a place where you don't really want to live, I think the important piece is that you're being vocal about that and that there is a plan to remedy that in some way. That, hey, listen, I'm good for a couple of years, but I I don't see us living here permanently. How does that affect the trajectory of our relationship? Or is that something that I am willing to sacrifice for this partnership? You know, is, does this mean more to me than where I reside for certain folks? Yes. For other folks? No. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think we just have to be genuinely, really, truly honest. First of all, with ourselves about what we do or don't want, Mm -hmm. because a lot of times we get so caught up in what other people want. That we lose our sense of self altogether. So, what I would say is incredibly important is to understand your core value system. And that's a super personal development, self-helpy sort of concept. But the way I distill values is just any component or element that you need in your life in order for you to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm whatever that is, if you need a sense of creativity, if you need a sense of connection, if you have a strong value around honesty and integrity, like it's these elements that must be present in your life in order for you to be fulfilled. And a lot of times when we're unhappy or we are feeling some sort of emotional discontentment, there's a value that's being stepped on. So Mm -hmm. for many of us, I think it's about digging in and looking at, is this something that I'm actually okay with? And then making sure that I'm being crystal clear with my verbiage of how I'm mm-hmm. communicating that. So if you aren't fully okay with it, don't fucking pretend that you are. Right. right. So an example might be let's say that you have a strong value around. Uh, ethics or equity to animals, let's say, and you have a partner who wants to go hunting Mm -hmm. and that is a hundred percent a deal breaker for you. And that's a situation where that needs to be voiced. Does that necessarily mean that you're going to say, don't go, or I'm going to break up with you? Maybe not. Who knows? It depends on if that, how big of a deal breaker that is for you. But what that doesn't mean is that you go do whatever you want, honey. No, it's, Hey, I find that really problematic. I have an ethical moral code that operates differently than yours does. I would be happy to hear out your perspective, Mm -hmm. but that's genuinely not okay with me. Right. There are things that we need to be honest about, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to say you're a bad person or you're horrible, or I want to break up or I want to leave this job or whatever it is. But at the very, very least we have to get clear on, does that matter to me? And then how much does that matter? Is it a deal breaker?
0: In my last relationship, we had a scale of one to 10, where it was like one to 10, how much do, do you care about this? And if it was like a 10 for one person and a three for the other, we'd be like, all right, you win. Like, that's right. Um, but I, I find that there's so much packed and why people, people, please like, um, my last, one of my relationships in the recent history, was pretty much ruined by some of the things you're sharing. Like the person was a people pleaser. They cared more about what their family thought than what I could ever want or think. So it didn't really feel like I was creating a partnership with one person. It felt like I was creating a partnership with eight people who had to approve our, our life choices, you know, and on top of that, um, you know, there was a lot of, uh, there wasn't a lot of conversation around remedying things. So if there's a problem, it was like, let's talk about this later. And I was like, no, but this is a problem for me. And that was my own poor boundaries that I had in the relationship. I should have left sooner. And so I think what I'm I'm learning in retrospect is like for someone to have such a deep ingrained people pleasing, especially with family and enmeshment, um, yep. There's a whole history there. So what can we share for everyone? Maybe even the people listening that don't even know that they're like such a people pleaser. I feel like sometimes people don't even realize it. Um, no, of course some not. Signs. Yeah. Or why are people doing it in the first place? Hey, U-Turners. This episode is brought to you in part by Glad Skin, the skincare products that restore natural balance to your skin. So be honest for a second with me. If I were to ask you how many skin products you have in your drawers at home, How many would you say? If you're like how I was, you probably have a ton of expensive, barely used products. It turns out we've been thinking about skin solutions the wrong way and it's time to rethink your skin. And that's what I love about GladSkin. It's a brand new category of skin blemish treatment that works differently than any plant-based or drug-based product you've ever tried before because GladSkin is based on the nature of healthy skin. So inflammatory blemishes and acne prone skin, they're caused by an imbalance in the skin microbiome and healthy skin needs a healthy balance of bacteria, just like your gut health does. So when the bacteria get out of balance on your skin, inflammatory conditions flare up. So GladSkin developed a revolutionary protein called microbalance to restore the natural balance of the good and the bad bacteria that live on your skin. So don't worry. Uh, Glad Skin's Blemish Gel works without any harsh ingredients. It's really gentle from day one. And right now it's offering our community, Gladskin is so generous, to give us 15% off our order with free shipping over at gladskin.com slash U-turn. That's G-L-A-D-S-K-I-N dot com slash U-turn for 15% off plus free shipping. Now let's get back to this week's episode.
1: Well, first of all, we're all completely biologically designed to people please. So if you look at something like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, one of our primary basic human needs is a sense of belonging. And that comes from primitive humans who could not survive on their own. You absolutely had to be part of an organization, of a group, in order to survive. If not, that meant impending death. Mm-hmm. So now, we don't necessarily have that we're not going to actually die if our mom doesn't approve of who we're dating but it still registers like that as a dire threat on our subcon- from a subconscious level okay so there's a way in which you know when we want somebody to approve of us or we want somebody to like us that's a wildly fucking human mm-hmm. now the one caveat that i will make is that it is a piece of our defense mechanism so I'm not sure if you talked about this much on the show. How we have these varying degrees of fight-flight response, ways in which we protect ourselves when we feel threatened. Let's talk about that.
0: We've talked about it a little bit, but not enough. So let's let's review.
1: So let's talk. So there's four, and I've done a podcast specifically on this myself as well. Um, There's four primitive responses to fear: fight, flight, freezing. And then also fawning. Fawning is sort of a newer one on uh, on the circuit. And the idea behind fawning is if, let's say we were about to be attacked by a mountain lion, instead of fighting it, freezing, running from it, we would be like, here, kitty, 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 kitty. We're fawning. We're kind of going, oh, why don't you do this? You know, we're trying to please it. Well, all of these, fear responses have modern iterations. The modern iteration of the fawn response is people-pleasing. I feel a sense of threat. This person may not like me. My well-being may be challenged. My finances may be influenced. There's some sort of threat here. Let me acquiesce. Let me fawn. Let me people-please this person to hopefully stay safe. Mm. One thing I will say that I think is incredibly important to underline here, especially if you find yourself in a marginalized identity or an intersection of marginalized identities, is that there are situations where you are up against the proverbial mountain lion where you do need to fawn in order to stay safe. For example, I identify as queer. If I'm in and amongst folks who are adamantly anti LGBTQ, that's probably not the space if they're all around me, all freaking out, all being yelling and belligerent. That's probably not the space by myself to get on my rainbow bandwagon and be like, you you guys,, you know, no, I need to speak up for myself. No, there's a reason why people pleasing is a part of engaging with fear. If you're actually in imminent danger, it can absolutely save your life. So, for those of you who find yourself in any of those marginalized identities, there may be times when you do have to do what the boss says because you know that that could come back on you because of your race or your gender or whatever. So it gets sticky. So the reason I throw that out there is your number one goal is always to take care of your personal safety first. What we're talking about more is situations where your, your personal safety is not necessarily being threatened. So, so that's why we do it. And then I think if we're talking about these identities, it's disproportionately affecting to those who identify as female, (laughs) because we're told, That we are responsible for everyone else's happiness to make sure that they're taken care of. And we're responsible for their emotions. So if somebody else is upset or frustrated, then it's our job to go in and smooth that over and make sure everybody else is okay. So I I think it's important that we don't demonize people pleasing, because for many of you out there listening, this is not uncommon. That may have been how you stayed safe as a child. Maybe you grew up with really volatile, um, abusive parents or caretakers. And in order for you to literally stay safe, you had to learn how to placate, right? So a lot of those behaviors will then continue to be reinforced in our adult life. But for many, they get to a point where they go, okay, I realize that some of those defense mechanisms and behavioral tactics aren't serving me in my relationship now you know those things that kept me safe as a child are not working out in my marriage mm-hmm. or in my workplace or with my best friends
0: right you know it's interesting like the amount of I, I almost think fawning is kind of like indulgence like when you're crying in the mirror and then you just kind of like cry harder like there's like a drama to it like indulging in the in the dilemma um I love everything you're saying. I know that there's so much in people's upbringing that kind of Mm -hmm. creates this people pleasing. What would you say if somebody right now is kind of taking a look at how they grew up? You know, you talked about how you grew up and your siblings. Um, Mm -hmm. How can someone kind of take a look at that and better understand their people pleasing from that perspective? Yeah. So (laughs) <laughs>
1: with what you were talking about earlier with wherever there's resentment there's usually some place for boundaries that's mm-hmm. absolutely the case mm-hmm. most of the time it's because blame is so much easier and more attractive than personal responsibility mm-hmm. so it's easier for us to say well my parents were fucked up so mm-hmm. but, you know than it is for us to actually work through our own trauma and spoiler alert everyone has trauma especially mm-hmm. if you think you don't and um So one of the real basic entry points of kind of discovering where might I need to speak up or where might I need to establish a boundary is simply by taking a pulse of what are the things or with whom do I chronically complain about? And I'm not talking about just venting like, Mm -hmm. oh, Ashley, I had a rough day. Let me just, you know. Tell you, uh, tell you something I'm mad at for 10 minutes. That's mm-hmm. not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about chronically coming home and giving your partner an earful about how shitty your boss is over and over and over and over, and over again, but you never actually speak up to that person. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we are vocal, we just don't tell the right person. So maybe you're furious about something your sister did, and it's your mom who always gets to earful or <laughs> you know, any number of situations. So, I would take a quick inventory of when and with whom are those instances where I'm always pissed, I'm always resentful, I'm always frustrated with them. And have I actually given them the opportunity to be what I need? Most of the time, it's no. Mm. Or we've communicated in a way where we can't be heard. So, if you've been passive aggressive, you haven't been heard. If you've been yelling and screaming at that person, I've told them how I feel and but I've, I've told them till I'm blue in the face. That's probably the problem. How would you respond to you? Would you be like, I can't wait to work on that. Or would you be like, I need to get the fuck out of here. This, this person's screaming and yelling at me. If you've tried doing things to get things where you're like, if I, if I unload the dishwasher enough times, she'll get the hint that I need her to do it as well. Right. Doing things, unless you have very calmly, articulated it in a gentle and clear manner and spelled out exactly what you are requesting, you probably haven't spoken out for yourself authentically and effectively.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. And I know you have so many tools for communication and I love that you gave us some examples. I saw on your podcast, which by the way, everyone, her show is called the bold faced Truth podcast. I expect no less from you, Amy. And <laughs> um you talk about, you know, you have an episode about the four communication styles. You also have an episode uh I know you talk a lot about hypnosis, which I wanted to ask you like how does it yeah. really work so we can kind of better understand it. Um and you also have four steps around navigating anger, which I feel like a lot of people who are people-pleasing usually have resentment. So I'd love any feedback from you on the communication styles. How can we use these um in our quest to no longer be people pleasing and also just like anything around anger that you can share.
1: Yeah. So, so I'll try to put this in a, like a nice concise tool form because all of those things can take uh, like all of those that you mentioned were bite-sized and it took like an hour and a half to do those. (laughs) Well, maybe three hours, maybe close to three hours. So basically here's the deal. A lot of our communication is directly tied to our emotional intelligence. We are far more often reactionary to things, which is completely human and normal and rooted in our fear responses, right? You find out that your partner didn't pay a bill, you get pissed. Your first thought is fight. Let me yell. Let me scream, right? So we have these natural responses when we're angry. Emotions are simply just messaging. They're there. To share with us something that's going on with us, right? Like that something is either amazing or something has gone awry a little bit and let's course correct. The problem is, and anger, we know, thanks to the work of Brene Brown, is kind of a secondary emotion, which means is that that there's oftentimes a primary emotion beneath that. So anytime you are angry. The first tip that I would say is search for a deeper emotion beneath that. For example, if you find yourself, you know, being really snarky with a business partner or a best friend or something, what could be underneath that? Well, maybe it's that I'm, it has nothing to do with them and I'm just feeling overwhelmed. So I'm communicating from a place of overwhelm but I haven't properly dissected that enough. So it just comes out as an angry outburst. Mm-hmm. Angry is our Anger is our most easily accessible emotion, mm-hmm. but it's oftentimes a mask for something else that's underneath. Now it could be something, let's say a partner does something that makes you angry. And when you look underneath that, what I'm really feeling is dismissed, is the lack of respect, is not feeling valued. But that root issue, you can't really, contest how somebody feels, right? And right. that's a much more vulnerable expression. Mm-hmm. I know that's something you've talked about a lot and talked about in your book as well is like vulnerability is a huge skill because if you come to somebody with a vulnerable like another example, you get angry because your partner unloads the dishwasher the wrong way or doesn't unload the dishwasher. It doesn't do something around the house. You, you fight and fight and fight about the stupid dishwasher, but what it really comes down to that root issue is I don't feel respected in this relationship. I don't feel like you give a shit about any of the things that I do in this household. Right. To say that is unbelievably vulnerable. It will always be easier to fight about the surface issue and about, well, you're just wrong about the dishwasher or you just need to do more work around the house. Mm -hmm. That will always be easier, but it's so easy to contest. Yeah. But vulnerability, if you show up, you are also far more likely to elicit vulnerability from the other person. And then you could actually get some communication handled.
0: Yeah, it's funny. It's like authenticity has become such a buzzword, but what's so awesome about it is you get to the heart of the fucking matter so that you don't have to do these like little monkey dances with each other to eventually get to the heart of the matter anyway. So it's like when you're with people who aren't authentic, who aren't vulnerable, what you're really doing is choosing to be with someone that you have to talk longer about the other stuff to really get to the heart of the matter anyway. So it's actually just not very productive to hang out with people who aren't authentic. Not that productivity is the number one thing, but it's just another loss that we endure. And then, um, I know Mm -hmm. you also talk, um, you know, about these communication styles, which is such a bigger topic. But if there's one tool or a couple of specific tools we can impart for people listening right now around um, how to communicate, how to start that conversation, uh, how to navigate their people pleasing and start speaking up, what would be a couple of your favorite starters or tools that we can impart?
2: Hey U-Turners, for this quick interruption, I want to take a moment to say thank you to our incredible sponsors over at SaneBox, an artificial intelligence powered email tool that has been a game changer for freeing up my time and boosting my productivity. So with more than 200 to 300 billion emails going out per day and over 7 trillion emails going out each year, it's really no secret that email is kind of slowly killing all of us. In fact, recent data shows that more than half of employees feel like their email is killing them. And another study found that almost 50% of the time that managers spend tending to their inboxes is spent on emails that should have never been sent to them in the first place or didn't even require their answer. This is where SaneBox comes in. With the press of just one magical button, I've been able to say goodbye to all of those time-wasting emails and hello to my sanity and my schedule again. Seriously, everyone needs them. So when you sign up at SaneBox.com slash U-Turn, That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. You'll get 14 days for free and $25 off their super affordable membership if you decide to join and you love it as much as I do. And once you'll do that, you'll be able to easily sign into your current email box. And with a click of the button, you can integrate SaneBox. And I am not very tech savvy, but I've got to admit, this was super easy. And from there, you'll see under your inbox folder and your sent folder, a couple new folder friends. One is going to be called Sane Later, which is pretty much code for spammy emails that you don't need to see. And the other folder you'll see is called the Sane Black Hole, where you can drag and drop emails into both of these folders that you don't want to be subscribed to anymore. Between mailing lists and cold sales emails, I'm at 100 black hole emails per week. Such a big time saver. And my Sane Later box that takes all of these other emails I don't really need in my inbox, I check it once a week or so. And I'm always so pleasantly surprised to see over hundreds and hundreds of emails in there that I never needed to even see. The black hole will use artificial intelligence to get to know you and eventually auto place emails in there to support your productivity. I check it weekly, like I said, and there's really nothing I'd have changed. What a gift. It is like a magic trick for your inbox. As I mentioned, head on over now to sanebox.com slash uturn. That's s-a-n-e-box.com slash Y-O-U. T U R N to access 14 days of Sandbox for free, as well as a $25 credit for a serious discount on their super affordable membership. If you're anything like me, you are going to be in love with it. Now, let's get back to this week's episode.
1: Sure. So, uh, we all tend to have sort of a natural communication style, uh, assertive, um, aggressive, it depends where you it, it, if you're following um attachment styles right if you're an anxious attachment style if you are um a secure I know you've talked to that about that a little bit before on the on the show and and the various types of communication styles are typically aggressive mm-hmm. passive passive aggressive, and also uh, assertive so we're all kind of looking toward being that assertive quality, which I really truly pair with grace and kindness. That's one of the things that I think people don't realize is we can be very firm and assertive and incredibly kind and generous and compassionate and graceful at the same time. I think we get this message many times that in order to get our point across, we have to be bitchy or we have to be kind of a dick about it. And, that, and sometimes you do, right? Like it's not an always situation, but a majority of the time you can have a really confident power in your delivery. So what I would say for folks out there is to think about, first of all, the inventory of who are these people that I actually need to speak up about or with? Because chances are you've been feeling that discontentment, you've been feeling that frustration and you haven't, haven't actually voiced that to the right person then I would think about getting really crystal clear about what is your specific request. A lot of times we go into a conversation and we say shit, like, I just need you to respect me more. What the fuck does that mean? What does that look like? Or with a partner? I, you know, I just need you to hear me. What does that fucking mean? (laughs) So, you know, you need to spell that out. Like what that means is when I tell you something about my day I want you to echo back what I just said. Mm -hmm. And I want you to echo it back with an emotion. And that would sound like, wow, babe, that sounds like that was really a hurtful thing for you to experience. You need to literally give people the words to say to you.
0: (laughs) I've done that before and people are like, well, you know, why are you telling me what to say? It's not like I'm going to say exactly what you want me to say. What's your response to that? This is just an example of what would be great. Or how do you... What I've said to, to sure, someone is like, here's what I would have loved to hear or something like this, but yeah. Curious. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, and, and then we get into a place where are you being, are you delivering that? Are you asking that with the utmost kindness and being met with with resistance every single time? Then we have an issue of that person may just genuinely not give a shit about being what you need. Uh And now we have a whole different relationship dynamic that we need to talk about. So, and you can say that you can actually invite and say, Hey, I've got some, some ideas. I would love to tell you exactly what would be helpful for me to hear. Are you open to that? Would that be helpful for you?
0: Uh
1: Um, and then you can also do the opposite and say, here's, what's not helpful. Here's what's really hard for me to hear. Here's what's triggering for me. Here's what sends me into a shutdown. Here's what, you know, whatever it is so that you can, you know, be really clear. Cause there are things that people don't realize. For example, my very best friend has gone through so much stuff in her life. And when she would come to me with an issue, with a problem, I would remind her of how strong she is. And I would say, you have been here before. You have gotten through so much. You are so strong which in my mind was like, I'm being such a good bestie. Like I'm, I'm gassing her up. This is good. Mm-hmm. But then I would ask her, what's helpful for you to hear from me? What's not helpful? How can I be amazing for you? Mm-hmm. And then she told me because that was opened, she said, you know what? It's honestly really hard for me to be reminded, uh, that I've gone through all this other stuff. I don't want to go there again. I don't want to be reminded of that. I don't want to be back in the, uh, that hardship. And I also want to feel like I don't have to be strong. I want to be the person who can break down. I had to be strong for everybody else in my family. I want to be weak. Mm-hmm. I want to be emotion emotional. Tell me I can do that. And mm-hmm. I was like, done, mm-hmm. fucking done. Thank you for telling me. But we don't often tell people literally what we need, but we can start by modeling that and just genuinely asking people, What's helpful for you right now? Mm-hmm. How can I be amazing for you? And you can also say what your instinct is. Like my instinct right now is to give you all this advice or my instinct right now is to fix it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sensing that's not what you need. How can I be awesome for you? What would be helpful this. to hear?
0: You know, and it's interesting, um, Annie Lala, I don't know if you know Annie's work, she was on the show and she talks about making a request versus a demand. And sometimes our requests sound like a demand and that's not really effective either. So it's really important. I love what you're sharing to say, what do I want to request? And if I had a penny for the amount of times, and you've you've all seen it here on this podcast, because I've asked you like 14 compound questions. It's the same thing when I ask for a need. It's like five things. By the end of the conversation, the person's like, what do you need? So I think being really clear, being very less is more is such like underrated advice. Um, And I think that that's probably the key to fulfillment is knowing what you need so that you can ask for it and get those needs met. I also know a couple of friends who struggled with boundaries and people pleasing. And sometimes it's not that they aren't needy. It's just that they tend to think they need a lot of things because they are kind of like in that pendulum of like their needs didn't matter for a long time. So now they have a lot of requests. Um, Do you have any filtering system for people to kind of decide? Like, I feel like it's such a personal thing. Like how do you really decide what you need, need, need versus what's a compromisable negotiable thing? Well, that's a difficult one because
1: it's a hundred percent intuition, yeah, and so it's being guided by your own internal compass and what I would say is start really paying attention to what I like to call pink flags it's not necessarily this outright red flag, but it's something that's a pink flag, and the pink flags typically don't determine where things are going one way or another. So for example, somebody could do, say something that's sort of a pink flag that you're like, oh, that was kind of inconsiderate or rude. And if you actually address it, then they say like, oh my gosh, I did not mean that at all. I will, and they course correct and change altogether. you know, they're like, I'll never do that again. So crisis averted. Mm -hmm. But if you didn't say anything forever, and then there's all these things that start mounting, then it's likely that you're going to totally explode. Yeah. So as far as determining your needs, first of all, we need, I think there needs to be a reclamation on the word needy. I just had a gal on my podcast. Her name is Mara Glatzel, who has a podcast called needy. And it's this idea that especially disproportionately for women, we've been told that it's a bad thing to have needs and shocker we all have them. Why do we think that a majority of of marriages end in divorce and even more second marriages end in divorce? Because we're not given the tools or educated on our own emotions, how to acknowledge and and, uh, regulate our own emotions and then actually communicate what's happening because of those emotions. So I would love to give you a great, nice, tidy answer, but the reality is you've got to do your work. You need to get with a therapist. You need to get with a coach. You need to do a lot of personal exploration in order to go, Hey, no, these are my values. These are the things that absolutely are a deal breaker for me. Um, I've done a couple of, of things like that on my show where we've done like soulmate factory exercises or friendship, exercises. And a lot of it is determining what are those things that matter the most to me? And then which one of those things are deal breakers? So for example, my husband has a huge value around strategy. I don't share that value, but I also don't make him wrong for having that. So when he gets all worried about our stops and we have to go to this place first. And then that, because we can't backtrack and we got to have the strategy or we need to pack up the car with the perfect Tetris bags. You know, I don't shame him for that. I go, okay, that's his value around strategy kicking up. And I allow that uh, to just exist. So, but you have to know what those things are for yourself first before you can say, Hey, I can see why, why I'm getting frustrated around this. I have a major value that's being stepped on."
0: I love what you're saying. And I also think a lot about, um, you know, your point around your partner. I had a friend who was stuck in a loop in her marriage. She was always pissed off at her partner, totally got it. The stories were really like rough to hear. And she got to this point of breakthrough where she realized I chose this person. I'm marrying this. I married this person, knowing that he or she, they had these qualities. And so why am I making them wrong for something that I is a part of who they are that I've chosen. And so it's been really interesting to see her move into acceptance. But what I also was thinking about as you were sharing was um, Lisa Bilyeu, she had a really cool, she's such a great woman. Um, My friend, Lisa, she, Talks about how selection matters. So when it comes to your needs and people pleasing, it's like, yeah, we need to learn these tools that you're sharing. We also need to remember that who you select is the starting point for your quality of life, right? Like, not just as a partner, but as your friends. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to select someone to be my life partner if they have a problem hearing my needs and making me feel. Obviously, nobody can make you feel and all that stuff, right? Yes. But if what it brings out for me is a feeling of like, I feel so needy, why am I asking for all this? That's not a fit for me. And I can self-reflect. So I think a breakthrough that I've had around people pleasing is if you feel like a desert waiting for some rain, if you feel like that desperation to be heard, um, sometimes that's just feedback. You're not in a connection that's good for you. And it's not a matter of having a conversation. It's a problem with selection in your romantic Mm -hmm. relationship, in your friendship. So that's been a huge breakthrough for me, which is so weird. I'm like, that sounds pretty obvious. Like, selection matters, but shit, I forgot. So, um, well
1: here, here's what I will say about that with your anecdote about, about your friend. Um, I don't think that just because you signed up for something a little bit shitty early on, that now you have to deal with a shitty ass relationship that doesn't fulfill you for the rest of your life. I've been with my partner for almost 25 years. If I was held accountable to what I wanted 25 years ago, I mean, that's an archaic version of me. I'm a radically different woman than I was when I first met him. So uh, I think that there's something to acknowledge because I do see women who go, I picked this, this is my fault. I've got to stay in this shit scenario. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. It's about growing and developing and saying like, "Hey, when we first met, this wasn't important to me. Now it is. Mm-hmm. How does that affect us now? Is it a deal breaker now?" Um, the last thing we we need is for all of us to set up set up ourselves up for a life of self-sacrifice just because we made a different decision however many years ago. Now, if you are just starting dating and you're realizing that your selection sucks over and over and over again, there's likely a historical reason for that. That's, a you know, if you are the common denominator, now let's start looking at what are you tolerating? What are you allowing? What are you settling for? There's probably some things that we need to unpack there. So I think it can get it can get kind of sticky, but I don't think that the answer is always acceptance. Sometimes it's severance.
0: I love this so much. What a much needed reminder. Um, where can everyone find you? I know you have so many different magical things um, and you have hypnosis <laughs> that we didn't even touch on. So tell me where everybody can go to keep this party happening in their life. Sure. Uh,
1: So you can find me over at amygreensmith.com and green is spelled just like the color with no E. And over there, I I do have a free hypnosis download. If you just click on free sources, you'll see a, a free ebook that I have that's set up in a workbook style, specifically around a lot of the things we've been talking about today. And there's some free hypnosis. I've been doing a podcast for almost for gosh, yeah, just coming up on nine years. So there's a vault of information over there. And uh, I probably hang out the most on Instagram, like any good Gen Xer, <laughs> self-respecting Gen Xer. Um, and my handle pretty much all over social media is Greensmith. So come say hi over there. Thank you
0: so much.